Welcome back, Long Island. You're listening to DDI on Autism on 103.9 FM. Keeping an eye on autism and giving a voice to its Long Island community. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Romas. Continuing my conversation with Sandra Gumarov, mother, (laughs) I'll say that first, an advocate uh, and an attorney. Uh, Sandy, where we left off, we were talking about uh, the implications of this uh, new look back that's coming under the uh, Medicaid redesign. the possible penalties uh, that are built into that and what that can mean for families and converging on that, what that might especially mean uh, for people who are now invested in um, self-directed services. Well, the um, the look back applies to community-based long-term care services. One of those services is self-direction. It includes things like home health care services, private duty nursing, personal care, assisted living, and other services for which medical assistance is otherwise available Mm -hmm. and which are designated as long-term care services and regulations. CDPAP, which is also often used by our families, is part of those services, which would be a look back. What is that, Sandy? um, That's the self-directed at-home services, gotcha. okay. where, you know, a, a family member or the family can hire um, aides, et cetera, themselves. Um, this change is going to take place on October 1st. Mm-hmm. The look back has an effective date of October 1st, unless, of course, the pandemic um, state of emergency has been um, extended so it's not, it can't go into effect during the state of emergency, but at some point, and right now that point's October 1st, I am not um, convinced that that's going to get moved. I'm, I'm dealing with October 1st for all of my clients. So, so should listeners who, who, who might be affected by this, should they consider this very short period between now and October 1st, a window in which they could avoid some of the complexity and penalty, potential penalties. Absolutely. There's there we right now have a window of opportunity. A window of opportunity to transfer funds out of the disabled person's accounts into supplemental needs trusts, first party supplemental needs trusts, which are Medicaid payback trusts. The transfers have to take place and the application has to be made for Medicaid before October 1st. Um, And I urge everyone to talk to their lawyers. There are lots of things that people can do on their own. You can do a guardianship on your own. You don't really need a lawyer. You know, Mm. if you want one, we, you know, my firm does probably 40 or 50 a year, but you don't really need a lawyer for that. You cannot do a supplemental needs trust without a lawyer, because if the trust is not properly drafted, it doesn't work. But can, can, can people, can they do the application and then get into the fine point just so that they meet this deadline? Can they do the application? And well, work I don't know point? that. Yeah. I don't know that the application will be processed if you're not otherwise eligible. I see. You have to. So you have to be financially eligible, and you have to be disabled. And they have to show that. And that you have to prove that. And, and you have to show that at the point of the application, I imagine. Correct. Right. What's involved in demonstrating? What do you, what do you have to What do you have to pr- uh, provide? You provide thirty months worth of bank statements, right? Um, investment statements, all all those kinds of things. 
Um, and then there are disability requirements, evaluations, et cetera, that you have to submit. Um, generally speaking, if you are already on Social Security Disability or SSI, you've already been determined to be disabled. The question will then be, under OPWDD um, requirements, have you met the requirements for a developmental disability, the onset of which is prior to age 22? Now, if any part of that application is either incomplete, well, that, that's most important, uh, or not fully satisfied, uh, would, would the, the person applying be disqualified? Um, you know, it's unclear. They haven't said. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll tell you, we also were asking questions about how will the look back affect people who are already on. Right, right. You know, because there, there were no transfer penalties before. Are they going to look back on recertification? We believe that that's not going to happen, mm. at least not right now. But that's not written in the regs or anything yet. Um, so we don't, you know, we don't know, just like we don't know if OPWDD people are going to be included. But right now we have to operate as if they are, because if you don't and the look back applies, you don't get services for whatever uh, penalty period. It, it just se seems to me, and again, I, you know, a lot of things that don't feel right can come to pass, but it seems difficult to, to justify. I agree. Uh, right? I agree. It's terrible. Yeah. Uh, but we don't know. And when we don't know, from my perspective as a lawyer, my advice is we don't know. Let's put ourselves in a position where we can't be hurt. Mm, right. So You're on the side of great caution. Correct. Now, I will tell you that I believe that, um, and there are some exemptions, but one of the important things is if you have a small amount of money, you can probably use a pool trust. Mm -hmm. if, the, what is that? if the beneficiary is under age 65, you, right. we believe you can use a pool trust just like you can in a nursing home situation. A pool trust. A pool trust. Okay. Um, you, you can, you know, it, and for smaller amounts of money, I think that works. I have not gotten a response to my question about using an ABLE account. Mm -hmm. may or may not be able to use an ABLE account, but an ABLE account is limited. You know, you can only have, if you have less than $15,000, an ABLE account would work. And um, for the pool trust, what's the maximum amount that we were dealing with? There's no, there's no maximum. Oh, I see. In a pool trust. Okay. Um, and there's no maximum in a private trust. Right. Right. You know, so um, I don't want to go through yeah. what the exemptions are. I don't think that we should rely on exemptions. I know for my daughter, I've always made sure early on that there were no assets in her name. Mm -hmm. And um, I think this also brings to fore the fact that all of our parents, all of us need to have a will. Mm. For those of us who have children or loved ones, grandchildren, siblings, whatever, with a disability, we need to have anything we're leaving to them go into a third-party trust so that this issue, if the money is not owned by the person with the disability, there's no issue because there's not going to be anything to transfer. Which begs the issue, right, Sam? That begs the issue of estate planning yeah. and how different estate planning might be for for people who are developmentally disabled, disabled rather, as opposed to just about everyone else. There's a, a, right. a lot of other considerations, for, I, I assume. Correct. And one thing we haven't talked about today that's a topic for another day 
um, is the CARES Act, which was federal legislation that was passed in December 2019 that changed the world of um, IRA, individual retirement account beneficiaries, mm-hmm. and how that works for people with disabilities. But that's for another day. Right now, I really think we need to people to think about and focus on, are there any assets? Is there any money in or or you know, a home or an apartment in my child's name, is that asset exempt? And if it's not exempt, how quickly can I move it into a trust? And that would be the way to make it exempt, really. Yeah, it becomes, it does money in a supplemental needs trust, whether it's a Medicaid payback or a third party trust, does not exist for government benefit purposes. So So really, move it. No, I'm just going to kind of affirm. So really, they have this very short window in which to do right. that without the 30-month uh, look back. After that, that becomes much more difficult. And the time span, because it's much greater, poses a threat uh, to families. No question about it. I know one of the concerns that you shared with me during the break is is the kind of protections uh, that need to be put into place. And I, I know we don't have a whole lot of time left in the show, but I, if you could just speak to that for a moment, I, I'd like to bring you back to talk about that uh, at length. So when you're talking, here's what we want to protect against. We want to use a supplemental needs trust to hold assets owned by the person with the disability so that there is no penalty period. Mm-hmm. There will be mm-hmm. no penalty period transferring assets to a properly drafted supplemental needs trust protects the funds, Right. those funds can only be used for the person with the disability, the person with the disability then qualifies for Medicaid and can access OPWDD benefits, whether it's traditional benefits or self-direction, without any waiting periods. You know, the penalty period is really a waiting period. This is so, so important. That's why we really need to spend time on that. That's why it's so important to me that, that, that you come back. I think every parent's concern is, is what happens when my child ages out. And if ever there was an issue where more is more, it's, it's about this issue, which more information really is preparation. So I think, and, and equips, equips families. So I'm going to ask you to come back. Uh, you're listening to DEI and Autism. My guest has been Sandy Gummerup. Critical issue, protections for people with developmental with development disabilities. Be sure to join us. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors.